0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's
1: Word. They weren't afraid of God. They'd lost their fear of God because of His mercy and because of His grace. And sometimes a person can do that because God is so gracious, they just kind of, oh, God's not going to do anything about that's not going to judge the sin. He'll let me slide, and they they make the mistake of using his grace as a license for sin. Right, the liberty that we have in Christ—they're using now for for sin. Pastor Dan
0: talks today about the grace God has given. Children often learn what they can get away with if a parent threatens but never follows through. The child realizes they can keep disobeying with few consequences. The children of Judah acted in much the same way. Their fear of God dwindled because God was good to them. God's grace isn't so we can get away with murder. When we accept Jesus, we're called to repent and to live our lives rightly. God's grace is given to us because on our own, we will never be worthy of Him. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 57, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace, they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. He he says here, the righteous and merciful people are no longer leading the nation. The righteous are no longer leading the nation. Back in chapter three, you don't have to turn there. There, verse one, the Lord says, for behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, he takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. He takes away the mighty man and the man of war, the judge, the person who can judge rightly. And the prophet, the person who speaks for God in the nation and the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan and the expert enchanter. So he takes away all of these people from leading the nation of Israel and Judah. And then he says, instead, I will give children to be their princes and babies shall rule over them. So he's, he's going to remove the wise and the experienced and the statesman and the elder, the honorable, the righteous, and he gives them children to rule the nation. I mean, people, have, you know, people that have no idea what they're doing. They're, they're totally underqualified for what they're doing. And here in chapter 57, he says here, you know, the righteous and the merciful have disappeared. And he says, and no one takes it to heart. No one wonders, where are the godly leaders? What happened to the righteous leaders? Why don't we have merciful leaders? Why do we only have unrighteous leaders? No one stops to consider, why do we have the leaders we have and we no longer have great leaders like we once had? I'm talking about Judah here. What was going on in that nation at that time? God removed the righteous from Judah And again, it was part of his judgment against that nation. And one day God will remove the righteous from our nation and we shall enter into peace with the Lord and rest with the Lord, just as it says here. Now he says to the wicked, but come here, verse 3, you sons of the sorcerers, you offspring of the adulterer and harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offspring of? Of falsehood. The wicked ridiculed the righteous. They mocked the righteous. In verse 5. The, the Lord begins to describe. Israel's idolatry at that time. Inflaming yourselves with gods. Under every green tree. Slaying the children in the valleys. Under the clefts of the rock. Israel's idolatry here. you know—in in the, in the Old Testament. Israel is described as the wife of God. We've talked about that recently. Israel was the wife of God. The marriage ceremony takes place at Mount Sinai. God gives the covenant to them. It's a marriage covenant. God becomes their husband. Israel becomes God's wife. But Israel was an unfaithful wife to Jehovah. Uh, in fact, Israel was unfaithful on the wedding day at Mount Sinai. They created a golden calf and began to worship this golden calf. And so Israel was unfaithful to God. And not just one time, but it was unfaithful over and over to God. Worshipped other gods. And that's what's described here. Under every green tree, they would have these groves where they would worship their idols. where They would commit this idolatry, slaying the children in the valleys. They would sacrifice their children to the god Molech. And there's evidence of that throughout all of Israel. They sacrificed their children. Up in the northern part of the country, Megiddo, the archaeologists have found an altar where they sacrificed children uh, and Gezer. In the central part of the country, they have recovered the remains of infants at this place of worship. They sacrificed babies there. Uh, most of the remains of the babies are, are a month old or less. Even in Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom, uh, there were so many children sacrificed there that God called it the Valley of Slaughter. And so they, they slayed their children in the valleys. You know, and this is, you know, this is just how twisted idolatry is that the pagan gods demand that you sacrifice your children to that God to win his favor. But the true God, he sacrificed his son for us. See, the pagan gods, they take the truth and they twist it. Where now people are sacrificing their children to God, when really it's God who sacrificed his child for us to redeem us from our sin. Verse six says, among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion They, they are your lot. Even to them, you've poured out a drink offering to these idols. You've offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? Should should I be comfortable with the fact that you're offering offerings to other gods? he's speaking to his wife here. You can imagine, you know, if you're married, if if your wife was spending a bunch of money on some lover that she has on the side, am I supposed to be okay with that? It's kind of what God's saying here. Am I just supposed to accept that? Live with that? Should I receive comfort in these? On a lofty and high mountain, you have set your bed. Even there, you went up to offer sacrifice. They would have these high places. Where they would worship their idols. Verse 8. And behold, the doors of their posts, you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other than me. And have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. You went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes. You sent your messengers far off and even descended to Sheol. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, you are wearied in the length of your way. Yet you do not say there is no hope. Meaning there's no hope in these gods. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. He he says here that you are wearied in your way. You're you're wearied in your idolatry. Now, again, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, right? But that season comes to an end where there's no more enjoyment in the sin. And he's saying here with their idolatry. Yes, it it may have been exciting and pleasurable in the beginning, but they've gotten to a point now where there's just no more enjoyment in it. You know, the thrill is gone kind of thing. And, and, and yet, even with that, they still don't repent. They've grown weary in their idolatry, but they don't turn back to the Lord. They just say, well, there's no hope. They don't do anything. They just continue in it. And They can always come back, but they don't. It goes on here, verse 11. And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me or taken it to your heart? Is it not because I have held my peace from of old? They, they feared their idols. The idols could be harsh. So they lived in fear of their idols. God, on the other hand, was always merciful to them. And they weren't afraid of God. They'd lost their fear of God because of his mercy and because of his grace. And sometimes a person can do that because God is so gracious. They just kind of, oh, God's not going to do anything about this. That's not going to judge the sin. He'll let me slide. And they they make the mistake of using his grace as a license for sin. Right. The liberty that we have in Christ, they're using now for for sin. Goes on in verse 12. I will declare your righteousness and your works, for they will not profit you. He says, let's talk about your works. And you, know, you think you can stand on your good works? Let's talk about your works. So they're not going to profit you, right? Our works are like filthy rags to God. The Bible says, "All right, well, let's talk about your idols." When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them away. Your idols can't deliver you. Your idols can't help you. But he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And so here what you see God in his in his grace here, he lays it out before the people of Judah and he says, your own works, your own goodness isn't going to help you because you're not good. Your idols can't save you. But he says, if you put your trust in me, I'll give you the land. I'll bless you. You'll inherit my holy mountain. I'll accept you and receive you and forgive you and give you a blessing and inheritance. It's almost like Elijah On Mount Carmel, where he says, you know, how long will you go between two gods? You know, if Baal is God, serve him. If Yahweh is God, serve him. And it says the people were silent. They didn't want to answer. And they had been worshiping Baal for more than three years. And they thought Baal was the god of rain. Baal was the one who caused rain to come down on their crops and make their crops Prosperous and productive. And so the God Yahweh sent a drought upon the land for three years. And after three years of drought and destruction and devastation on their land, now Elijah the prophet says, Hey, if Baal's God serve him, if Yahweh's God, serve him and they, they still aren't they aren't sure. They don't they don't want to give up on Baal yet. It's just destroyed them. And they don't want to give him up. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Uh, you can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. And here, the Lord is kind of laying it all out, just like the Lord does for us. Say, hey, you want to go on your good works? Well, that's not going to get you anywhere. Hey, you want to you trust in your idols? Your idols can't save you. They can't deliver you. But here's the offer I have. If you put your trust in me, I'll give you the land, I'll give you a possession, I'll give you an inheritance, I'll bless you. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Verse 14. And one shall say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. He says, prepare the way so that my people can come back to me, right? Just like, uh, just like the message of John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight a path in the desert. Are you saying the same thing here? Build up the roads. Heap it up. Heat up. Prepare the way. Remove the stumbling blocks so my people can come easily back to me. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy Place. So listen to this description of God again. He's the high and lofty one. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He dwells in the high and holy place. And then he says, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. God dwells with those who are contrite and humble in spirit, not the prideful, not the self-reliant, but the humble and the contrite. We don't really use the word contrite that much anymore. The word contrite, it means to see yourself as very small. How small? Get this. The word is used in some places in the Bible for the word dust. That's the same word. Dust. Dust. Do you see yourself as very small? How small? Like dust. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I've got nothing to offer. But the Lord, the Lord, he's the high and lofty one. He's the one who inhabits eternity. He's the one who's holy. He's the one who dwells in the high and holy place. And I'm but dust in his presence. I'm nothing. That's what it means to be contrite. And to be humble before the Lord. And the Lord says the contrite person, the person who sees himself as nothing and the person who is humble, that person dwells with me. Verse 15, again, he says to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Once he revives us, he revives the spirit of the humble and the heart of the contrite. He can do a work in the humble and the contrite. Not so much in the prideful. Not so much in the self-reliant person. Oh, I can handle this myself. Mm, God resists the proud. That word, when it says God resists the proud, it, it's a military terms. It means he arrays himself against that person, like, a, like an army set for battle. Yeah, I'm, He's against that person. But the humble, the contrite, he can do a work in that person's life and he can bring revival into that person's heart. Verse 16, he says, for I will not contend Forever. Nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to contend. I'm not going to be angry forever. This anger with us is short. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. Speaking of the children of Israel, I hid and was angry And instead of uh, repenting, what did Israel do? He just went on in his backsliding. He just continued to backslide even farther away from God. He went on backsliding in the way of his heart. Now, look what the Lord says. This is so amazing. Verse 18. I have seen his ways. I've seen what what Israel's done. And I will heal him. I will also lead him. And I'll restore comforts. Plural, to him and to his mourners. Isn't that amazing? Just the grace of God in that verse. God says, I've seen what they've done. Now, usually when we say something like that, I've seen what you've done. I know what you did. And I, I don't ever want to talk to you again after what you've done to me. And here the Lord instead, he says, I, I've seen his ways. I know what he's done. You know, I'll heal him. I'll lead him as a shepherd. I'll restore comfort to him and to his mourners if, if he just comes back to me. It's just grace, just how he forgives us like that, you know? He knows what you've done. You know, nothing's hidden from him. He has seen it all. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intent of our hearts. And yet he still wants us to be his children. He still calls us. And he says to us, I, I've seen everything you've done. I know your ways. I know what you're like. If you come to me, I'll heal you. I'll lead you. I'll restore comfort to you. Just grace. I create the fruit of the lips. Verse 19. Peace. Peace. He repeats it to him who is. Look what it says. To him who's far off. And to him who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal. I love verse 19, too. God says, I'll give peace. 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 To anyone, to both him who is far away from me and to him who is near, and I'll heal him. If it just turns back to me, I'll give you peace. Now the Apostle Paul picks up on the same verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says of Jesus that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and to you who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. We both the one who is far off and the one who was near. Jesus Christ preaches peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. And some of you, I know you grew up in a house where your parents were Christians and they taught you about Jesus from a young age and they took you to church every Sunday and you grew up near to the Lord. And so when the time came in your life, For you to open your heart to Jesus Christ, it wasn't a huge step for you in the sense that you knew. You grew up in that environment. Others of us here, man, we were far away from God. Didn't know any of it. Didn't know the first thing about it. Just living far from God. And God calls both. Those who are far off and those who are near. And he gives us peace through Jesus Christ. That's so great. Now he speaks to the wicked in verse 20. He says, But to the wicked, well, the wicked are like the troubled sea, you know, just completely in turmoil. And you know that. You, you know people like that, right? People that are wicked and their life's a hot mess, isn't it? And just always in turmoil, always in drama, always in trouble, always things going on, always things blowing up, just no peace. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters just cast up mire and dirt. <laughs> you know, again, you know, people like that, man. They're just always throwing, casting up dirt, always bringing up dirt, always saying stuff, you know, always getting these arguments and fights. And it's just like that all the time. And then he says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked, but for the humble person, the person who's contrite, who thinks that they are nothing and nobody. And have nothing to offer to that person. He offers peace. He offers healing. He offers to lead them and he offers to comfort them and restore them. What an offer. What an offer, right? It's like you got two choices here. You can have a life that is just topsy-turvy and thrashing around like a troubled sea, or you can have the peace and comfort and healing and restoration that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ.
2: He asked me how I, know, and I say, it truer than the finest crystal.
0: We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please... Take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth.
2: I recognize the hands that crack